it, I get a chance to fill in for Pastor John. I'm just going to talk to you out of my own Bible study from our Bible reading we're doing together as a church family and just share from my journal notes that I take. And uh, what I typically do in my journaling and, and note taking of reading scripture, I tend to, you can't read my scribble. I mean, it's, I, I barely can read it sometimes, but I'll make an asterisk by some things that just really stand out to me as those wow moments when I read it. And I, so that way, when I'm going back reviewing, I'll look for those asterisks. What were those big things that really stood out to me in my own personal reading of the Bible? And it's, 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 it's fun. It's encouraging to go back and reread that. So I want to share from you uh, one of my wow moments over the last couple of weeks in reading God's Word. And how many of you are doing the daily Bible reading plan here at the church? Many of you are. It doesn't matter if you're not doing the one with the church. Many of you that don't do it, you're into some other study or devotional, and that's fine. The point is to be in the Word, okay, to get your daily nourishment. And so what I want to do today is share with you from Matthew 16 and Matthew 18. And we're going to kind of work through uh, a particular thought or two uh, given there, and we'll go on. So, in Matthew 16, is it everybody's still working their way over there? Matthew 16. the Pharisees test Jesus uh, with some questions and at the beginning, verses 1 through 12. And then in verse 13 through 20 of this chapter, uh, we see where uh, this famous confession of Peter, where Jesus asked the question, but who do you say that I am? And, and Peter answers with great boldness and faith. He says, uh, he said, He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he said, "Uh, Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So, and then he warned the disciples that they should not tell anyone else that he was the Christ. So, just make a a note right now, and we're going to come back to it later, about what does this mean for this binding and loosing, this authority, this power given to Peter. And we're going to come back to that in a minute. But as we work through this passage here in verse 21, after this great declaration and this high esteem given to Peter for his confession, how Peter changes. He says here in verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show the disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. So Jesus is making it clear of his mission, his purpose on this earth, was to, he must go to Jerusalem. 
There he will face the executioners and he will die on the cross for our sins. That is his destiny. And in verse 23, it says, for whoever wishes to save his, excuse me, let me back up, uh, but 22. <clears throat> it says, Peter took him aside after hearing this statement that, that Jesus is saying, I'm going to be killed and then raised up on the third day. And in this conversation with Jesus, had, Peter pulls him aside. Hey, come here, come here. And he talks to him alone for a minute and says, he says these words, God forbid it, Lord, this, that this shall never happen to you. No, Jesus, you're not going to go to Jerusalem and die. You're not going to be killed. God forbid this ever happen. I'm not going to let it happen to you. That was Peter's heartfelt desire for the good of his Savior, the Messiah, he had just declared, you are the son of a living God. But yet now Peter is saying to him, no, I don't want this to happen to you. And look at the reply from Jesus. But he turned to Peter and said to him, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your minds on God's interests, but man's. What a change from being called the rock, now being called Satan. <laughs> you know, Jesus is just having this heart-to-heart, man-to-man conversation with this disciple that he is trying to teach and nurture in his faith and his purpose as a follower of his to say, uh-uh, get thee behind me, Satan. Those words I will not accept. Those words, I refuse to heed, Peter, because that is not my purpose. You right now, by those words trying to stop me from going to the cross, are becoming a stumbling block to me. And I refuse it. I reject it. Those are like words from Satan because Satan himself is trying to keep Jesus from the cross. We saw that in the early beginning of his ministry during those 40 days of fasting in the wilderness, and, and the Satan would come to Jesus trying his best to persuade Jesus to do anything else but fulfill his purpose as the Messiah, the Christ, the Lamb of God that would be slain for the sins of the world. Do anything else, Jesus, but don't go to the cross. Don't die for the sins of the world. And so that was Satan's goal, and it's still Satan's goal. Satan's goal is to thwart, to stop the message of the kingdom of God. While he did not stop Jesus from going to the cross, Satan failed in that task. Jesus did fulfill his destiny and his calling to come and die on the cross. He fulfilled that. So now he sits at the throne of God on the right-hand side, interceding for us, petitioning for us. We are forgiven of our sins through Christ Jesus. And now we as followers of Jesus have been commanded and mandated to go and make other disciples of Jesus and to tell the good news that we have a Savior. We have a Redeemer of our sins. We can be restored to Christ Jesus in relationship to God through the work of the cross. We have a mandate now to go and tell others and point them to Jesus. But in this very moment, it says here, back to Peter, 
that he said these words, you, Peter, are a stumbling block to me. This word stumbling block, the root Greek word is scandalon. You hear the word when we say scandal. When we hear the word scandal, we think it's typically in my lifetime, we've only used the word scandal in relation to notable people like politicians, pastors, church leaders, I mean, uh, uh, civic leaders, high officials that fall into an affair or uh, espionage or uh, fraud when, when a person in known high esteem, like a leader of some sort, whether it be religious, civic, or political, when they get swayed by a woman into an affair, that's scandalous, right? When a person gets swayed by money and takes a bribe, that's scandalous. When a person gets swayed by jealousy and rage and goes and takes the life of somebody else, that's scandalous, right? When, we, when these things happen, these are temptations that are brought upon somebody in authority. It could be anybody, to be honest with you, but we typically hear that word, scandal, when it's in the White House, when it's in government, or in wherever. You know what I'm talking about. So, but this word is what Jesus is using here to Peter. He said, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a scandal to me. You are trying to put before me a scandalous trap. The word scandalon literally means stumbling block. That's what this word means. Properly is the trigger of a trap. Figuratively, it means an offense. So that's why I brought this. Not to kill some rats or catch them, but what I have here this morning, this is an old trap that my father-in-law and my brother-in-law built years and years ago, and I brought it home recently to catch some raccoons. I was having trouble with raccoons at my house eating my outside cat's cat food. Those raccoons are sharp. I mean, they're smart. They, they have thumbs, I think, because they was raising the lid on the, the shoe box outside, going inside, opening the lid of the cat food box, and then going through it. And so to get rid of these uh, raccoons, this is what I did. I took this trap. And uh, I'm going to have to turn my back to the camera and stuff. But the way this thing works, if I can do this, we would open the door here. And it's, it kind of got messed up a little bit coming in. I'm going to make some loud noise here. Yeah. But what you do is you set the trap like this. Here's a door that any little critter can come in. And they walk through here. And I would set some, there's a little can here, and I'll set some food in there. It could be scraps, just anything yummy that they would go in. So that raccoon is going to see the food. There's something desirable there to eat. Food is a good thing, right? 
There's nothing wrong with food. He knows this is a good thing for me. I, I, I need this, and it seems to be good, so that he can't get to it right here, and he'll find his way inside this cage on his way to the food. And when he gets to this right here, if you can see it, there's a rope and a little uh, platform there. When he steps on it, if I did it right, it's going to come loose and trap it, and that will close. And so what happens is this rope and that point right there that the animal walks on it, this part is the scandalon. This is the scandalous point in the trap. This piece right here is the stumbling block that causes the animal to be in a snare. They're trapped. They can't get out. And so Jesus is using this idea that when Jesus had a purpose to fulfill, it was to go to the cross. Anything that gets in the way from his purpose is a trap. It's going to cause him to stop and not be able to get to his destination. And so Peter was becoming a stumbling block. This word stumbling block is used throughout the New Testament. It's also used when in relation to personal bias or carnal thinking. It's the means of a stumbling block uh, in our, our words and actions. It's also used of a rock of offense, meaning that in the biblical times, if you could just use your imagination and go back to a world that did not have concrete sidewalks and asphalt roads. In biblical times, it was just dirt paths that were just beaten down from many, many thousands of footprints and horse prints that just became the path that people walked on. But sometimes there on the path, there would be, if you can see it right here, I've got a rock. Native rocks that would just because of erosion on the pathways would just kind of work to the surface on a pathway. And this is a scandal line. This is a stumbling block. So you can imagine, do it, I'm not that good at it, but you know, you're walking along and you, and you don't you're not paying attention, you stumble and you, you're going to fall. You're going to lose your way. You're going to be stopped in your progress by something sticking up in the way that you did not see or notice. And so there's many ways to use this idea, whether it be a trap or simply something you're just stumbling over. And we notice here in Matthew 13, verses 36 through 43, He talks in a, a he, Jesus tells a, a parable about the, the wheat and the tares. You remember that? And the disciples ask him, uh, can you explain to us that parable you told, told a little while ago? And he says this uh, in verse 37. He said, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. 
And the field is the world. And as for the good seed are the sons of the kingdom and the tares of the sons of, of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is in the end of the age. And the reapers are angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with the fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness. So those that are not followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus called stumbling blocks. He described them that way. Go back to uh, where we were in verse uh, chapter 18. So we're going to go there. We were, we were in 16. So I want you to fast forward now to chapter 18 as we continue our thought about stumbling blocks. Here, we move forward in time from Peter's declaration, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then yet he's also being called Satan. And in verse 1, I want to work through the first 14 verses here, maybe 20. Let me just read these. So 18, verse 1 of Matthew. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So the disciples are gathering momentum and steam and confidence in their Messiah, Jesus Christ. They've seen him cast out demons. They've seen him just teach with great wisdom. They've seen him... Uh, do miracles of all sorts, and they're building great confidence, not only in Jesus, but in themselves. This band of disciples, their pride is starting to swell. We are on the, the forefront of a movement, a mighty movement of God, and God has blessed us to be those 12, and they're thinking about the kingdom that's coming, that's going to just be grand and glorious, and they're going to be one of those leaders. And they ask this question. Among us, guys, among us, who is going to be the greatest in your kingdom? They're asking this question. And so in the midst of this question there by the disciples... Verse 2, and he called Jesus, and he called a child to himself and set him before them. And he said, truly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become like, a, like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, there's that word again. Stumbling blocks is, is mentioned again here. It would be better for him to have had a heavy millstone hung around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. So I want to read the rest of these in just a moment, but just to summarize what Jesus is doing here. He's addressing the pride 
and the expectation of these disciples that they're going to be great men based upon what they're seeing and doing right now. And Jesus says, you've got to convert and change the way you're behaving. You've got to have a change in heart, disciples, rather than becoming boastful and proud and hopeful of being great the way you think you are because of what you know and what you're doing and all. There's got to be a change made. You've got to become like this little child that he just, I wish Grady was still in here. Joseph's boy, he'd have been perfect illustration. Y'all have seen Grady this morning, right? You've got to come in here and change your attitude and your heart to be like a child. How is the heart and the mind of a child? Yes, it's innocent. It, it just has this innocent trust and an acknowledgement that their daddy is strong. Their daddy is the provider. Their mama is their nurturer. There is this understanding. The kid can't express it with words. The child knows, I need my mama and my daddy. They are the ones who provide for me, sustain me, nourish me. They play with me. They love me. That child does not have an ounce of pride to go, I am going to be great because of who I am right now as this kid playing with Legos and playing in the mud. They don't have it. It's just a mindset. I'm in the moment living a life provided by my father and my mother. There's just this unexplicable, it's not a word, reverse, unexplainable in words, the heart of a child. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow him, bring it down, disciples. Get off your high horse and follow me with an innocence and a trust to know that you cannot do anything apart from your heavenly father. And that's just one way I'm trying to say this. Humble yourself as this child, he says there in verse 4. And so I want to just bring this in now because we're going to drive it home the next few verses. We as adults, let me just say the word adults now. We as adults must humble ourselves and have a childlike faith in the Lord. And anyone who receives, in verse 5, anyone who receives an adult with a childlike faith in my name receives me. Jesus is not talking about children, in my opinion. Jesus is talking about anyone, whether child or adult, who has the humility to come before God seeking him in his name will be received. Verse 6, but whoever causes one of these little ones, so now he's not using the word child, he's using the word little ones, who believe in me to stumble. If someone, adult or whoever, is humbly desiring to know Jesus, as best they know how, they don't know nothing, they just know I need Jesus. If they are making their way to Jesus and one of us 
present anything to stop that person from coming to Jesus. And and you're on the TV, camera, podcast. I'm pointing at this rock on the ground. If any of you put in the pathway of a person coming to Jesus, you're creating stumbling blocks. We don't want to, just, just in the same way Jesus knew it's his purpose and desire to go to the cross, Peter, you're standing in my way. There are people in this world, in Jesus' time, in our time now, who want to have a relationship with Jesus. These little ones. People who don't know the Bible like you do. Who don't understand God the way you do. Because you're so smart and I'm so smart. And because they don't dress the way you do. And act the way you do with your religious words. They're coming as they know all they are. And they're making a, their direction is our hearts are towards Jesus. We don't want to do anything to place a stumbling block before them to keep that little one from getting to Jesus. And you think about an animal that gets caught in my little trap here. An animal, just like a child, just like anyone who doesn't know any better, would just see there's something good that I desire. I just want to go to that good thing that I desire. But they're not smart enough to know that there's something in the way that's a trap that keeps them from that good thing. And Jesus is making the path to him clear. But we're going to look in just a minute and we'll we'll see it later. Let me just continue now. I, I think I've made my point. It says here in verse 7, Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. For it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come. So the world itself is sinful and fallen. The world itself that is in the realm of darkness and Satan, who is at his job and his demons, and the world system now is to prevent Anyone, these little ones who are desiring to come to know Christ, woe to them. Woe to the world system. It's it's broken. And it's filled with stumbling blocks that keep people from finding Jesus. But then he narrows it down. Jesus says, woe to that man through whom the stumbling blocks come. He's getting specific now. Yeah, the world system is a stumbling block. The ways of the world keep you from Jesus. Isn't that true on Sundays? The day that Jesus and the gospel is being proclaimed on a Sunday morning, the world has all kind of stumbling blocks to offer to keep you trapped in a scandal, in a a baited trap to keep you from the good things of Christ. The lake. Pleasure, fatigue, I just want to rest. Family, I just want to be with my family. I just want to travel. I want to go see the world. I got to study because I want an education. You know, I got to exercise because I I want a six-pack abs or whatever it may be. The world will offer you all kind of traps to say, 
to keep you from Jesus. And granted, it's not just Sunday where Jesus can be found on a, on a church campus at 1004 Main Avenue. But woe to the person that keeps an individual from coming to Jesus. To anybody that stands in the way and says, no, you don't need Jesus right now. Why don't you do this instead? Whatever it may be with the traps that they offer, he goes on to say this, verse 8, and if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and to cast it into eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and to be cast into the fiery hell. And so he's narrowing down to even, he says, the world, that man, that person, and then you. Jesus, I feel like he's pointing his finger, even you. You have stumbling blocks that are keeping you from following Christ. Maybe it's an addiction to things. Maybe it's actions, whatever it may be. And he, he's speaking in hyperbole here. He's exaggerating the point. He's not saying literally go gouge your eyes out if you're stuck on pornography or, you know, do something drastic. He's saying the point being take the measures necessary to, to eliminate these stumbling blocks in your life. Maybe you need accountability if you're a man stuck with pornography. Maybe you need an accountability group, women, if you're, if you're binging on food. Whatever it may be that's keeping you engrossed in yourself more than living selflessly for Jesus, we could just go on about this, but... We all have our own stumbling blocks, don't we? Every one of us has stumbling blocks that we struggle with. We just can't get over ourselves. We keep fumbling and falling over our own selves. Verse 10, see to it that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. In this verse, he said it in verse 6, little ones. He's not talking about a child. And I, when I was reading this, all I can do is think about Scotty. All I can do is think about myself as I examine my own heart reading this. And it's like, Lord, what, am, what is Scott doing that is a stumbling block to a little one, an adult or a child who is seeking to know Jesus, desiring Jesus, am I putting anything in the way from them seeing Jesus and knowing Jesus? Am I doing something that's a stumbling block? Is my words a stumbling block? Am I... We can talk about in the fruits of the Spirit versus the fruits of the flesh. Am I a bitter, angry person? Am I jealous? Am I talking bad about people? Am I gossiping about people? 
Am I causing division with my words? And when that little one, that innocent, now I say innocent not as in sinless, but this sinner who knows they need Jesus, all they can see is us who claim to be Christians, religious people, and they're coming to the church and they see me. Am I presenting any kind of stumbling blocks from them being welcomed into the kingdom of God, being welcomed onto our campus to come and hear the gospel? Am I doing anything? And so I don't want to be a stumbling block to the little ones. And it says here that there are angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. And as I read this, as a sidebar, I've always thought this is talking about guardian angels for kids, for babies and little ones. I don't know that this does not mean that God has his angels at work supernaturally guiding the lost to himself. God is using things both supernaturally and in this world to point people to his son. And he's going to use angels that we don't know about and we can't see, and he's going to orchestrate opportunities to hear the gospel through angels in supernatural realms, and they are, they are at work to win them. But are we creating stumbling blocks and traps that bind them up and keep them from coming to Jesus? I think about the Pharisees and the Sadducees we've read about all through Matthew. Jesus railed on them. He, gosh, he was constantly after these religious people, calling them a brood of vipers because they were creating stumbling blocks for people to come to God. They would say, you got to do this. You got to keep all these laws and you got you to do this and all these religious things that you must do in order to be good enough to come to Jesus or come to God. It's all they know. They didn't recognize Jesus yet. There, and, and so there was all these things that people were having to do. And then when they can't fulfill it, it's like, I'm trapped. I can't get to God because men in the church, in the synagogue, are burdening me with all these stumbling blocks that keep me from the truth of who God is. So the Pharisees and the scribes were the worst. They were the biggest hindrance to the Messiah coming as who he's supposed to be. And I dare say it's not changed today that we as believers and followers of Jesus and me as a church leader is probably the biggest problem that keeps the little ones from knowing Jesus. And you say, Scott, how can that be? No, you're not. Well, think about it. I don't know how you grew up and how you came to Christ, and, I, and, I'm not, and I'm not saying it's all bad. But when we, and I, I wrote this in my journal, just the Lord was just speaking to me that a lost person, 
a little one comes in these doors on a Sunday morning and they're not dressed like you are. Maybe they're, you can tell they're off the streets or they don't make the money you make. They don't have the education you have. They don't talk like you. They don't look like you. They don't act like you. But they're here. An angel, they, they've made their way or an invitation. They've come here because they're looking for a better life in Christ Jesus. And when they come in here, without words, we give an air. Oh, who's that? We don't have to say, we don't have to say a word. We give this air about ourselves. Who are they? Why are they here? I mean, it's good they're here, but we can't help ourselves, but we create a stumbling block to them because they will feel unwelcomed without words. Now, do you agree or disagree with me? I've done this. Even myself, I, I do it and I don't mean to. But people are street smart. They know when they're not welcomed. They can sense it. You can say some words to them. Oh, you're, hey, how you doing? Glad you're here. But your eyes and your body language is saying something totally different. Because you're just caught off guard by it. You don't mean to be that way. I don't think, we, I don't think any of us purposely go, you're not like us, you're not welcome. That's not our heart. I don't believe that's our heart for one minute. But it's this ingrained sin that we have that's in us that we're still working out. That We have pride. We have prejudice. We have bias. And so those are the things that God is asking us. Don't be a stumbling block to a little one. Verse 11. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. So what do you think? He said, goes on here in verse 12. If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go and search for the one that is straying? If it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the ninety-nine which have not gone astray. So it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones will perish. And this was one of my wow moments reading this when I was reading it. You know, it's fine that our study Bibles have these, like in mine, if you can see it, it tells you what each section or a block of verses is about. And because it has it broken down in sections, sometimes I read it as a section and stop. I don't read the whole thing. And so my wow moment here as I was reading chapter 18, these are not little pockets or blocks of content that Jesus was given to be left by itself. It wasn't just Jesus talking about receiving a child. We must be humble like a child. It's about, again, we must humble ourselves and become like a little one to come into the kingdom of God. And this idea is carried through with us in verse 10. 
that we don't despise these little ones. And then now in verse 14, so it is not the will of the Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish. There's a theme here going on. Anyone who is apart from the flock of God is a little one. And what happens, you know, um, I've been deer hunting uh, recently, and I love just sit and watch. I don't care if I shoot something or not. I mean, I need food, but I just enjoy watching nature. And, and you've seen the shows, you've been to the zoo, and all that kind of stuff. But when you're watching a herd or a flock of animals, whatever it may be, it's, and I watch them come out on the field. The bucks or the older female does, they come onto the field very alert. Is anything out here? Is there any dangers? Any, any, any predators? They enter cautiously or are aware of their circumstances and surroundings before they come and eat. But when you watch the, the, the yearlings and the fawns, when they come out there, they're so cute. When they come out in the field, they just come bouncing out and they just see food. They just see food. Hey, there's corn. There's grass. Let's go eat. There's no thought to predators. There's no thought to danger because they're so little. They're little ones. They don't know any better. All they know is I see something good that I want. They're not aware of the dangers around them that keep them from the food. That's the way people are in this world apart from Christ. They're little ones. They're living life unaware of the dangers around them that Satan has put before them to keep them from coming to Christ, to have a life and have it more abundantly and to have eternal life. And they're just living life with no thought to what's going to happen to them. I'm having a good time. Hey, hey, this grass, this corn is good. Man, this is live it up. I mean, it's free food. Unaware that like a hunter or a predator, something is waiting to pounce on them and trap them, kill them. Satan comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I've come that you can have life and have it more abundantly. And then he goes on to say in verse 15 through 20, if this brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. And he goes on just talking about this idea. Oh, here we go. Verse 18. And this whole idea, I'm not going to have time to expound on it. It's just that he just told this parable about a little sheep that's went astray. The shepherd goes to find him, to bring him back. And now he's talking about a brother who's in sin or in fault. You go to them to win them back and to restore them. That's what our goal is here. And he says this in verse 18, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth 
shall be loosed in heaven. And again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst. We always think this is just talking about coming together in worship. In the context here is two or three coming together for the purpose of restoration. Two or three coming together with kingdom mindset to loose those that are bound and to bind up those the things of Satan. So here's what I wrote in my notes. First of all, in summary, I must come to Jesus like a child. That's how I must come to Jesus. You must come to Jesus like a child. We can't come to Jesus with the pride of the disciples. Hey, look at me. Look how smart I am. Look how much I know about the Bible. Look how good I am. I don't, I don't cuss. I don't chew tobacco. I don't smoke. I don't drink. You know, I, I'm a good person. I'm doing all these good things. Look at me, God, how great I am. I'm a good person. You're going to let me into heaven because I'm so good. That's not the way we enter into heaven. We come like a child, totally dependent upon God. Secondly, he is not talking about kids and angels in this passage. He is talking, in my opinion, uneducated, about God's at work to bring people to himself using supernatural means. Others that come seeking Jesus, no matter their condition, I should welcome them enough and encourage them to Jesus. I was talking to somebody yesterday about, um, I went to Pensacola a couple of weekends ago. You know the families count thing that we do, the, the parenting class that we offer here? I love it, I love it. And so I was in Pensacola helping to train other churches how to do families count in their churches. And um, one of the churches that, are, that came to be trained, their church started out of an addiction rehab facility in Cleveland, Alabama. And so because of these people with their struggles, uh, their vices, they come and they get cleaned up, dried up, and now they need help with jobs and careers. This, and a church was born out of this. The church's nickname, this is, the church is called Redeemer Church or something like that, but the community... Guess what they call the church? The meth church. Because that's who's coming. People who've been hooked on meth, addicts and stuff. It's filled with church members like that who's coming out of that lifestyle, who's coming to Jesus. There are people with all kinds of struggles, and they're winning to Christ. People with a past like that, can win them so much better than I can. We need that. We need those churches that are in that place like that. I'm so happy for them to be able to offer that. But whether a person comes in here in a $1,000 suit or in a pair of Walmart pants, 
I want to welcome them like they are the prince of Egypt. I want to just let them know that they are loved just as they are. Just, you know, does anybody in this room ever turn away a child when they come to you? You know, Jesus used this example a little bit later when he is talking about children. He says, suffer not the little children to come unto me. You know, when you see your grandkids and when you see any kid around here, I'm around campus a lot and there's all kind of kids with the day school and I'm coming through a lot of times from the gym to come over here and there's kids playing, you know, and they'll come up to you. They're just, oh, here's somebody I can play with, you know. Here's a ball, let's play, you know. Do I turn them away and go, get out of my way, kid. I got things to do. I'm a working man. You know, I got business to take care of. You're hindering me. All that kid knows is there's something about me that they like and they want to be with me and play. And so I stop every time and I'll play basketball or toss with them. You know what happens? You do it for one, you got to do it for the rest of them, you know. <laughs> you know, you got do it again, do it again, do it again, you know. So it's so much fun. But in the same heart, I would never want to turn away a child from, that's coming to me to want to play. That would be rude and mean and self-centered of myself. That child just wants to play, wants to be with me. And so there's people that want to be with Jesus. And I don't want to be, and neither do you, you don't want to be that stumbling block because of things that we put in place. Well, you got to come here and you got to dress this way and you got to have the church language and all this and that. You don't have to have that. Just come as you are. And there's the thing where we know that that's not our heart desire, right? And we don't want to do that. But people put their own stumbling blocks in place. They think that we think they're not good enough. But it's a lie. That's a lie from Satan. He's putting a stumbling block in their heart. You don't need to go there because you ain't dressed good enough. You don't smell right. You don't look right. You don't talk right. That's a lie from Satan. Satan is putting a stumbling block in their heart that we didn't cause. Satan did. So my prayer to you and myself, examine your hearts. Is there any stumbling blocks for the little ones? Okay? Well, all righty. We got to go. All right. Thank y'all for coming. Have a great day. Okay, love y'all.